Hey guys, it is, uh, it's great to be together today. Great to see everybody. Um, if you're new and we haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Rob, one of the pastors here. Welcome to the Doxa family. It's an honor to have you with us today. But uh, guys, we're going to get right to work. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and find your way to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. All right, and as you get to this, guys, I'm, I'm really excited to, to start this journey through the study of, of Galatians today. I, will, I want to say a couple things. Number one, um, there's a potential that maybe you're like, you hear me say I'm excited and you might be like, he doesn't sound super excited. I want to just like ask you to pray for me and just even like inform you that I've been fighting like a migraine all week. And so I've just been down and out today. I'm like, usually my prayer when I come up on the stage is like, hey, God, like, please help me not to say anything stupid. And you're like, that works 50% of the time, right? But, but usually that's my prayer. And today I'm like, hey, help me not to say anything stupid and help me not to pass out, okay? So that's where I'm at. So I just want to ask you to just like pray for me as I'm, as I'm preaching that we can get through this. But guys, here is, uh, here's what we're going to do today, all right? What we're going to do is we're going to spend 17 weeks, all right, 17 sermons going through a great book of the Bible called Galatians, all right? It's six chapters long, 149 verses, and it literally, God has used this to literally change the course of the world. And it has in many parts, or in many ways, kind of led to us even meeting and gathering like we are right now. And so if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to just read this book as we study through it over the next few months, okay? So 149 verses. I timed myself. You can actually read this in 20 minutes, and so you can get through this. But as you do this, guys, I want to just inform you, like, we believe this is a book God wrote. And I can say without a doubt that if you spend some time reading the book of Galatians and studying it and meditating on it and and considering it and memorizing it, just like every word that is in God's book you're going to walk away changed, different, convicted, encouraged, and filled with joy because you're going to encounter the living God through the scriptures. All right, so read the book of Galatians. But here's how we're going to start. All right, Galatians is actually the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, right around 49 to 50 A.D. And he's, he's writing to a group of Christians in, a, in an area called Galatia, all right, which is now in, in modern-day Turkey. But before we get into the first five verses, okay, we're going to be camping out in Paul's introduction here to this book. I want to introduce Galatians to you in a, in a different way. All right, we'll see how it, how it lands. But I want to introduce Galatians to you with a, a little like kind of a imaginative storytelling by way of a man named Charles Swindoll. All right, so here's what I, I want to ask you to do. All right, if you're not too tired and liable to fall asleep, I want to just invite you to close your eyes. All right, so drink your coffee real quick. I want to invite you just to, to close your eyes and, I, and just listen. And I want you just to capture the feel and really just try and picture the situation of this letter because it's unique. And so if you have your eyes closed, I want you just to picture the Apostle Paul, whatever you think he looks like. Picture the Apostle Paul just pacing back and forth in a room. As you're watching him pace, you can see the look on his face showing that he's clearly agitated, he's frustrated, he's bothered. And as he's pacing, he frowns. And he stops for a moment, he shakes his head, and then he pivots and he starts pacing again. As he's pacing back and forth, he stops again, he glances out the window, and as he gazes out the window, he sees the colonnaded street that divides the city of Antioch from north to south. He knows that beyond the hills, in the distance, descending to the sea across the shore of Asia Minor, on the other side of the Taurus Mountains, there is the sprawling region of southern Galatia that is just calling for his attention. And as he's thinking about this, he whispers to himself, man, I would give anything to be there right now. And Paul kind of glances over to the table in the corner. He sees Barnabas sitting there who's kind of looking on with concern as Paul is limping around and his leg becomes more and more pronounced with this limp and this pain that he's experiencing. Paul grunts in discomfort because the permanent injuries that he suffered for the sake of the gospel at the hands of the rioters in the province of Galatia just several weeks ago are very real in his body. But that pain that he's feeling feel like minor bruises compared to the deep emotional blow that he just received from the messengers from Galatia. And as Paul thinks about this message that he just receives, he just kind of uncontrollably blurts out, those foolish Galatians, 
He shakes his head. He's thinking through his, his last visit to these cities in this region. And from Paul's perspective, things had gone incredibly well on that first missionary journey through the province of Galatia. The Gentiles in that place who were starving for hope had received the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection with great enthusiasm. The Holy Spirit had wrought miracles through Paul and Barnabas that astounded even then. Paul, as he's looking out this window, he starts thinking about his trip to Cyprus where the Spirit had prompted Paul to cast out just a a wicked sorcerer into a state of blindness, opening the eyes of a Roman proconsul. In Iconium, the Lord confirmed their message concerning the grace of God with signs and wonders done through their hands. At Lystra, Paul remembers the Spirit healing a man crippled from birth which just caused awestruck to approach the crowds and they gathered around Paul and Barnabas thinking and claiming that they must have been gods descended from heaven. But the fact that the Spirit had done so much and confirmed the Apostle Paul's message of grace with such power only made Paul more frustrated to receive the tragic news that the new believers in the province of Galatia had abandoned the good news of the gift of salvation and started depending on obedience to the law. And thinking about all of this, Paul looks over to Barnabas and says, remember Barnabas? Do you remember? And he pounds his fist into his open hands. He says, you remember what we told them in Pisidia? We told them that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins was being proclaimed to them. And that through him alone, believing sinners are freed from everything. You remember how we said that, Barnabas? They're free from everything, which the law of Moses was powerless to free them from. Barnabas then just looks up at Paul. And he says, Paul, we we clearly told them that. But the circumcision party has invaded their rank and poisoned their mind against us. Paul hears this from Barnabas. He looks at him. He says, you're right. Those dogs. Those dogs were nipping at our heels the whole time. And as soon as we sailed away from Antioch, they returned to gnaw our young brothers and sisters to the bone. And as he says this, Paul starts pacing again. And there's this growing tension that fills the room. And finally, he stops again and he stares out another window. And the sun's beginning to set, seeming to kind of hover over the distant region of Galatia itself, confirming Paul's resolve to somehow pierce the darkness that is invading the world of those young believers. And in that moment, Paul turns to Barnabas and he just nods his head. And Barnabas sees something different on Paul's face, that his expression has changed from dismay to determination. And he says to Barnabas, hey, go fetch me some parchment and a pen. And then I want you to go find Simeon or or Lucius and, and ask them to find a messenger that can set off for Galatia with a message for me tomorrow morning. I'll pay for the whole thing. And as Barnabas hears this, he kind of pops up out of his chair slowly and he asks, what are we gonna do, Paul? And Paul just looks at him and he smiles for the first time since receiving the news of the Galatian crisis and he says, since they've attacked our brothers and sisters in Galatia, we're going to bite back. Let's go. Go ahead and open your eyes. This is the feel of how the letter of Galatians came to be. All right, that as we read different letters throughout the New Testament, they all have a, a feel, a personality. There's a circumstance that's, that's guiding the, the emotion behind this letter. That as we read Galatians, guys, it's going to feel like this, okay? There's, a, there's something going to pop up here. All right, I think there's some, okay. So you guys remember these? Do you remember these movies? <laughs> Back in the 80s, like Hollywood, they created this new genre where just like a rugged, tough, heavily armed one-man fighting machine would just break into prisons and camps and all this stuff to, to rescue POWs or, or just hostages or kidnapped victims. Do you remember these movies? Right? Honestly, the plot and the character development are just terrible, right? But in terms of like the just like shoot 'em up action, like they were great, right? But in all these movies, an obvious lesson emerged, and it was this. That if you want to set the captives free, you need to go in with guns blazing. And I share this to say, this is the approach Paul took with the letter of Galatians. This is kind of the feel of of Galatians. The commentators have called Galatians the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. 
They've also called it the, the Christian Declaration of Independence, that, that Galatians is the most personal, in-your-face, no-holds-bar writing from Paul. And this writing not only served to help just to, to encourage and to free the people, the Christians that were in Galatia in this time, but it also brought about the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther challenged the Catholic Church's teaching starting in 1517. In Paramount, Paramount in the Protestant Reformation were two books in the Bible. You had Romans and Galatians, both written by this man, the Apostle Paul, who we're going to get to know more today. But Romans, guys, is about what the gospel is. Galatians is about what the gospel is not. Okay? And what I, what I, mean, what I mean by gospel, guys, is I mean the good news that our sins can be forgiven, our, our relationship with God can be reconciled, and that our eternal life can be granted. It's the good news of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And so if you think in terms of, of sports, all right, Romans was kind of like offense, and Galatians is kind of like defense, that Romans is pushing the gospel forward, and then Galatians is defending against false teachings and false gospels. And so throughout Galatians, we've, we're going to find Paul saying repeatedly, over and over, he's going to say that there is in fact truth. And this is a wild statement to make in our world, in our culture, in our society today, where there kind of is no true north. In a world of relativism and pluralism, it's like you believe, believe your own truth, you do you, but Paul is going to say there actually is truth and there are in fact lies. That there is the gospel of Jesus Christ and then there are in fact false gospels. That there is God-given redemption and there is man-made religion. That there are shepherds who love God's sheep and there are wolves who seek to destroy them. That there's the church of Jesus Christ and there's false spirituality. There's the kingdom of God and there's the fallen world. There is the grace of God and there's man's works. There is angels. There are demons. There is the spirit. There is the flesh. There is love. There is hate. And this all culminates into eternal life or eternal death. These are some of the themes that we're going to see throughout the book of Galatians. And these are just some of the examples that we're going to find. There's going to be more for sure. But guys, I want you to understand that these themes, they were very real. They were very present they were very intense for these original Galatian people. But I need you to understand that these themes, these weren't just true in that day, but these are true and present in our day as well. And so what that means is that makes Galatians like an extremely, incredibly relevant and helpful and honestly a needed book for us to understand and study. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at the first five verses today. All right? which is Paul's introduction. It's just his greeting to the Galatians people. And then we're going to walk through this. But Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how Paul starts off his letter. Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. All right, first I just want to kind of quickly kind of sum up these five verses and then we're going to kind of come back and look at the parts of these here in, in more detail. But if you look back in verse 1, Paul lays claim to his unique authority as an apostle which is not dependent at all from other people, but it comes directly from Jesus Christ and God the Father. And then if you look at verse 2, Paul says that all the brothers are with him and they stand behind this letter. And so while Paul's authority doesn't come from any of these men that are standing with him, all of these brothers, the gospel unites them around. Jesus unites them together and they're together proclaiming and declaring to the Galatians, this letter is the true gospel. There is no other gospel and it's ultimately from God. And then if we look at the content of verses 3 through 5, it can be summed up like this. If you look at verse 3, is the offer of grace and peace to the Galatians. And then verse 5 is the ascription of glory to God. And sandwiched in between grace and glory is verse 4, which is the foundation. It's the death of Jesus for our sins and our new freedom from the present evil age. And so understanding this, even though verses 1 through 5 are usually just the kind of thing that we read past and kind of say, well, that's a, that's a good introduction, right? That he just says hi, right? But I need you to understand, Paul has already gotten down to the main business at hand. He's wasting no time. 
That verses 1 and 2 claim the authority for his message, and then verses 3 through 5 give a summary of this message. So the greeting of this letter is a preview of the whole letter that we're going to study over the next several months. And Paul takes these two things, the authority and the content of his message, and he just unfolds them in front of us in that order. And so let's go back and look more closely at what Paul says. Verse 1 begins with him just saying his name, Paul. And this is common, right? He, he's saying, here's who's writing this letter. It was just common for him to do this. But since we're going to be studying the words of Paul over the next 17 weeks, because I want to introduce you to the man who wrote this letter and just to kind of get to know him, a little bit about his story. But Paul, if you don't know this, Paul is one of the most important men in the history of the world. And honestly, Paul is one of the most brilliant and prolific men in the history of the world. The reality is is that presidents and and athletes and celebrities, they kind of come and go, but men like Paul, we've been talking about him for the last 2,000 years. He's a really important guy in the history of the world. And to clue you in, he is a man who's responsible for the majority of the New Testament. All right, Paul wrote 13 letters throughout the New Testament. No one's 100% sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some would ascribe this to Paul, bringing that up to 14. But he's significant in writing at least 13 letters in the New Testament. And even more, if you look at the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, not by Paul, but chapters 13 through 28 are largely about Paul and his missionary journeys. So even though he didn't write Acts, in large part, it's about him. And so this is a really significant guy in the history of the world. Now, if you know if you know some background about Paul, you know that he's like a really interesting man. Because while he did all of that, guys, he was not a Christian for a large part of his life. He just wasn't. He wasn't following Jesus. He wasn't loving Jesus. He wasn't serving Jesus. And not only was he like not a Christian, it wasn't like he was like some of us maybe in this room where you're like, I don't really care about this. But Paul hated Jesus. Okay, His job in large part for many years was to hunt down and kill Christians with the goal to really just stop the spread of Christianity. That Paul had this disdain for Jesus, he had this disdain for Christians, and he was a very devout, a very kind of just like intense religious guy. And in Acts chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it actually says of Paul that his job and what he did was he ravaged the church. He persecuted the church. He was killing Christians. And this is how he lived until he met Jesus, the one that he killed people for. Now, what's interesting about Paul is as soon as he met Jesus, okay, his life was just forever altered, that his identity changed dramatically, drastically. And this is what happens when you meet Jesus, amen? That things just change. Everything changes. Guys, this is my story I know some of you, you come in here and you're like, man, Rob must just have grown up in the church and a great guy, he's awesome. I want to be like, there there is brokenness in my life that you don't know about because Jesus has done such a profound work to change me. Next week, we're going to have a bunch of baptisms up here and people are going to stand up here and share their story and they're going to say, here is how God has changed me through Jesus' amazing grace. And this is what it's all about. It's change that the gospel of Jesus brings. But the gospel of Jesus... Through the grace of God, it changes us at the level of nature. Doing the work of 2 Corinthians 5.17, where the Apostle Paul writes that anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. This is what happened to Paul. He met Jesus, and he was changed. And the grace of God, through Jesus, changed him from a persecutor to a pastor. And Paul is just a man, guys, who over the course of his three missionary journeys after he met Jesus. He walked upwards. He walked upwards of 20 miles every single day. Just picture that. 20 miles a day over rough, rugged terrain. He wasn't on the bike path going to the capital, right? But he was literally walking through the woods and desert and all these different things. Rugged terrain. I was thinking about that. I complain when I go downtown and I can't park right in front of the restaurant and I have to find a parking garage and walk like 500 feet, all right? That wasn't Paul. He did all of this. And he would walk to different cities, different places of influence, and he would just preach. He would open up the Scriptures. He would tell people about Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecies and the law. But something interesting happened, ultimately, because people were so violently against Jesus and worshiping other gods, they oftentimes just tried to kill Paul. 
And at times, entire cities would just erupt in riots, focused on trying to just get rid of Paul. And so Paul is a man who was beaten repeatedly. He was left for dead once. He's going to say later on in Galatians chapter 6 that he bears on his body the marks of Jesus, meaning that if you were to meet Paul in this day, you would see a man covered in scars from the beatings that he took for the Lord Jesus that he loved. And even more, some of Paul's letters were actually written from prison. That this man was thrown into prison in a terrible situation, and he wouldn't even waste his prison time. But his love for God and his love for people, he lived his life to such an extent that he invested all that he had in the kingdom of God without complaining. And so overall, we're talking about amazing man, a prolific man. And he's writing to a few churches in an area of Galatia. But if you look back to verse 1, okay, we're not just reading from Paul. All right, Paul's not just like the Christian version of Rambo, right? He's not, he's not that. But Paul identifies himself in a very specific way. Look back at verse 1. He says he's an apostle. And guys, this is, this is really important for a number of reasons, okay? The word apostle literally means one who is sent, okay? And as you read through the Bible, you'll, you'll find that there are basically two kinds of apostles in the Bible, all right, first you have like your, your capital A apostles who are chosen directly by Jesus Christ. And in this sense, we're, we're really ultimately talking about the 12 who are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And so in this sense, we do not have in our present day apostles like that. No matter what you hear on TV and late night and people calling themselves apostles, we do not have capital A apostles today. That's, that's done. But what we did, what we see of the second type of apostle is not the capital A, but the lowercase a apostle that is really just a gift that God gives. All right, and so these are, these are people that are, that are missionaries or church planners or movement leaders. These are writers and authors and speakers and pastors. It's, it's a gift that God gives. And as Paul opens this letter, he does so with intense clarity about who he is, and hear me on this, and all about his authority. Because here's what's going on in this, this young church in Galatia, these young churches. There were some false teachers that were entering in, they were showing up at church services, and they're trying to like, discredit Paul in his message. And they're basically saying, hey, Paul is not really a real apostle. He's just a guy. He's saying a bunch of stuff like his gospel, his message, everything he's telling you about Jesus, it's really not true. You, you can't actually trust him. And so Paul, right off the bat, in verse 1, he says, Hey, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I came here. I started this church. I led you to Jesus. I taught you the scriptures. I'm an apostle. And he said, This is not a position that was given to me by a group of guys that thought it would be a good idea, but this was actually given to me by Jesus Christ himself. And he's referencing back to Acts chapter 9, where Jesus kind of shows up and, and goes fight club on Paul. You remember this? And like knocks him off his horse and blinds him on the road to Damascus. And this is where Jesus, or Paul sees the risen Jesus and everything changes for Paul. And so this is important. That Paul was not just a guy. Hear this, guys. As we read Paul's words in Galatians, I need you to understand he was not just a guy who loved Jesus and was on staff with a church and had a bunch of stuff to say. But Paul had a unique place in redemptive history. That God had given him an authority that would not be passed on in person but only in a book, which is the New Testament in his 13 letters. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians with the authority of Jesus. Now, this is actually a good place for us to kind of just pause for a moment. Because Paul, as an apostle, do you know that this has implications for us? Do you see what it means? Doxa, it means that when you read Galatians, you're hearing from Jesus. You understand that? Because as an apostle speaks with authority, he does so with the authority of the one who sent him. And so this means that Galatians is the very words of the king of kings. And I take time to, to mention this because so many of us, we're, we're tempted. We go through life and maybe you, you hit a brick wall or something goes on and we're so tempted. We, we start crying out to God in prayer and we're like, God, give me a message. Give me a sign. Give me a word. Give me, give me a vision or a dream. But we almost make no serious effort in understanding the deep things of Scripture, the very words of God. 
I mean, guys, I could tell you there are so many times that Christians come to me as a pastor in search of counsel for some problem that they're kind of navigating. And we go up to my office and we sit there on the chairs and I just simply ask, like, have you searched the scriptures relating to this issue? And so many times these people are just, they get nervous and they start making excuses. No, I haven't. That's why I'm here. I'm talking to you. I'm like, I'm not Dr. Phil. I just have a Bible, right? But from my vantage point, guys, there isn't a lot of disciplined submission to the apostles' words in the contemporary church. That we treat the Bible mainly as a kind of like spiritual boost to get me through another week. Like I need like an emotional pick-me-up, so you know what? I'm going to grab my Bible this morning and that'll make me feel better. But the practice of submitting all of our ideas, all of our attitudes, all of our habits day by day to the absolute authority of Jesus and his apostles, guys, it's very rare. Very rare. And for some of us, you know, the ongoing attitudes and habits of relating to our spouse, which is causing problems at home, it's clearly contradicted by the apostles' teaching. For some of us, we, we live the way that we do because Jesus is not like the master and Lord of our life, and so the instruction of the apostles really carry no weight in our life. And others of us, you know, maybe it's a, it's a different problem, that maybe you grew up in and around the church, that maybe you actually do love Jesus and you want Jesus to be the master of your life, but over the years, maybe you've developed kind of a relationship between you and the Scriptures in which the Scripture is just kind of like a blur of hazy ideas. That for you, there's no real life-changing encounter between the clear words of Scripture and your own thoughts because you've inherited habits of reading which simply don't lead to acceptance and submission and action. And this might not be your fault. It might not be because you just have a hard heart. It could be you have a hard heart, right? But it also just might be you might have just learned this. And this is the sad part of of a lot of churches, a lot of Christian leaders today don't grasp and hold to the absolute authority of Scripture. That many will come to passages in the Bible and we'll we'll hear it, we'll understand it, we'll be like, but I don't really like that. Right? I I I don't really like, I don't know if I agree with what is being said. And so what we do is we start having conversations that's kind of sound like this. Yeah, I get that, but like, what does that actually mean? Right? You hear something that's tough that you don't really like that kind of goes against the grain of your life and you kind of say, well, here, this is the big one, right? And you probably have this in your connection group. Well, I get what it says, but what does the Greek say? Right? What's the Hebrew? What does that actually mean? Or maybe you're like, well, that was true for sure. I mean, we can see that was true back then, but so much has changed. So in our context, I don't really know if, if that is actually true. And so we just kind of dismiss it altogether. Because we don't view the Scriptures as authoritative, but more of just kind of an emotional boost that we need. And guys, as I get into this, okay, what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that we don't need to carefully interpret and apply Scripture. We for sure need to do that. This is what we do. But what I am saying is that when it comes to Scripture... Guys, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. And the Bible is authoritative in our lives because it is the very words of our Creator and King speaking to us about the truth of Himself, the truth of ourselves, the truth of our life, our need for Him, and what it looks like to actually follow Him. And so when we come to the Bible, guys, we come humbly, having laying down our thoughts and our desires and our opinions, and we simply say, God, you are God, I am not. I for sure have thoughts and ways and opinions about how I do life, but I understand that you are in complete authority as king. And so I'm going to lay down my thoughts, my preferences, and I'm going to submit to you and your thoughts and your ways, and I'll follow you regardless of how I feel. Christian, this is our posture. We stand underneath the authority of Scripture, regardless of how we feel. And we can process this and we can pray to God and, and, and help each other to understand this, but ultimately, all authority lies with King Jesus. Amen? And so when Paul says he's an apostle, he starts off writing to these Galatians that have turn, are turning their back on Jesus in the gospel and perverting the gospel, and he says, hey, 
The things I'm about to tell you, they come with the authority of Jesus. They're not just my thoughts, but this is the authority of King Jesus who is sending me, and what you're about to hear is absolutely from him. It's from the King of Kings. And so back to verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's speaking about the resurrection. That if you have questions about Jesus and you're like, I don't know why you guys look to Jesus and listen to Jesus and follow Jesus and everything he says, because he's just another dead guy. You need to understand that Jesus is the only one in the history of the world who said that he would be killed, was buried, and then he came back to life just as he predicted. He did something that has never been done before, will never happen again, and as he rose from the dead, he validated and he vindicated every one of his claims to be God, the one who is on the throne, who has complete authority. And Paul says, I'm with him, I'm speaking for him. And he says, all the brothers, verse 2, are here with me. And then after that, he just says, now, to the churches of Galatia. All right, so sometimes Paul writes to singular churches, but here, Guys, he's actually writing to a number of different churches in an area called Galatia. And here's what's going on in these churches in Galatia. All right, on Paul's first missionary journey, several churches were were started in this area. And Paul stayed there for a while. He was leading them. He was teaching them. And then eventually, he left there to start more churches so more and more people could hear about Jesus and find eternal life and forgiveness of sin. But as he taught them, his focus was the gospel. All right, the gospel is what started this, these churches. This is what Shane was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Right, Paul said as he came to start that church, he's like, I came to you. Hey, look, I'm smarter than all of you. I came to you knowing nothing but Jesus and him crucified. It was the gospel. That for Paul, the most important thing was the gospel. And the gospel that Paul proclaimed is what we find in verse 4. Take a look. Paul, this is the primary thing that Paul taught the Galatians. He's talking about Jesus, who he says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, or the will of our God and Father. All right, this is the message that Paul started and founded these Galatian churches on that Jesus came on a rescue mission to save sinners. And so understand this, Doxa. We need to understand that the one thing, we all have different perspectives, we all have different backgrounds, we all have different ideas. The one thing we all have in common is that we are all sinners. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, every single one of us are sinners. That we all do things that we shouldn't do, we don't do things that we should do, right? We all have something in our life. I mean, this is why that so many people in America spend, we spend billions of dollars on self-help material and and life coaches and therapists and all this stuff to fix the stuff that's wrong in our lives. That stuff biblically is just called sin. And it's all part of who we are. And it's not that we're sinners because we sin, but it's that we sin because we're sinners. It's actually who we are at our core. We're sinners in need of a savior. And this sin that's in every single person's life, guys, if it's not mediated, it causes separation. It causes separation between us and each other and us and God. And for some of you, I know this doesn't seem like a big deal because in the here and now, sometimes we sin and there's no direct ramification. We don't feel it. It doesn't seem like that big a deal. But from an eternal perspective, your sin and my sin keeps us from God. And there is nothing that we can do to get our way back. And again, it might not seem like a big deal in the here and now, but as we pass through this life, through the grave, into eternal life, it becomes a very big deal because apart from forgiveness of sin, we exist eternally separated from God, which is the terrible reality of hell. And so sin is a big deal in our lives. In our whole world, we might not call it sin, but we recognize that someone's got to do something, right? I mean, we look at our world and it's, it's a crap show. It's broken. And we all are kind of like, someone's got to do something. We need help to fix things. This is the good news of the gospel. And for Paul, what he says is it's all about Jesus. And we looked at this last week in Ephesians chapter 2, which is a beautiful declaration of the gospel. It's going to come up here. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You remember this? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. 
So Paul says, Galatians, there is a major problem. By the authority of God, I need you to understand that we are all, you are all the problem. You cannot be the solution. And guys, this is us. We're the problem. We can't be the solution. That salvation in, from sin, guys, is a result of God's work and not ours. It's the grace of God. And many Christians, guys, they'll look at this and they'll say, yeah, for sure. Like we're saved by, by grace, not by works. I need you to understand, the truth is, guys, we actually are saved by works. It's just not ours. It's Jesus' work, not our own. And so Jesus does all the work and then He gives us the benefits, which is grace. It's His unmerited love. But He had to do something, amen? He absolutely had to do something. He went to the cross and then defeated death by raising from the dead. And somebody, He needed to do something and Jesus is the person who steps in and He does everything so that we can be saved and we could receive that by grace. And what happens is Paul, as he understood this gospel, he says, grace, grace, grace. This is the heart cry of the Christian message. And that's why if you look back to verse 3, as he begins this letter, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That the good news of God's grace is when Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. Guys, this means that all the work has done. That we just trust in Jesus and we get to be saved from sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. Anybody excited about that? But this, is, this is the gospel. Now, here's what happened. As Paul left the Galatian Christians, all of a sudden some, this group of people called the Judaizers, they came into Galatia, and they kind of were just saying, hey, that, that gospel, that grace, like, okay, that's great, but that's not enough. Like, that's too easy. It's too easy. And the Judaizers essentially said, hey, the gospel that Paul shared with you, it's, it's inadequate. It's, it's not enough. The gospel's way too easy. you got to add to it. And they were saying, hey, yeah, Jesus is significant. Yeah, he, he loves well. He did die on the cross, but that's not enough for you to be right with God. That's not enough for you to truly be a child of God, that you need Jesus and something else. You need Jesus and you need to live a right life and you need to do certain things. This is the only way that you can really be sure about your standing with God. And specifically, the Judaizers were saying that you needed to be circumcised if you want to be sure you're forgiven of your sin. And what happened in Galatia is that a type of legalism just emerged in this church, which is just a false teaching and a false gospel. And we can define legalism as just really just confidence in the works of our flesh. And so legalism is just adding rules beyond what God has defined as the basis of our, our relationship with him, which is grace through faith alone. And so the Judaizers were saying that salvation from sin was about Jesus plus other things, specifically circumcision. That grace just seemed too easy. And guys, I've, I've had conversations with, with some of you about this. All right, not circumcision, that'd be weird. If you have questions about that, talk to Nate, okay? <laughs> He'd love to. Someone say circumcision. No, don't do that. All right? But Nate would love to have that conversation with you, okay? But I talked to some of you people, I don't know. What to... We'll blame it on the meds, okay? Um... <laughs> but some people will, will question this. And they'll say, okay, so you're, you're telling me that I just put my faith in Jesus and I'm saved. Is that what you're telling me? I'm like, well, yeah, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what God's telling you. This is from Jesus and his apostle. But yeah, that's too easy. That doesn't seem right. Surely we've got to do something else. Surely we've got to do something else. And this was the posture and the teaching of the Judaizers that were messing with the early Christians in the churches of Galatia. But let me just ask you this, guys. How many of you find it really hard to receive a gift? You know, how many of you really find it hard to, to say, like, I'm the problem, not the solution? That's hard, right? And if you're married, guys, I just fixed your marriage, right? I'm the problem, not the solution. You're welcome, okay? All right. Because we, we live in a world that's not grace-based. It's performance-based. You think about it. In school, you have to work really hard to earn your grade point average. 
To graduate, you have to pass your test. If you want your allowance as a kid, you got to do your chores. If you want dessert, you got to eat your dinner. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. And in sports, right? You got to play well. We're keeping score. Unless you perform, you're going to lose. You don't win. And then we go to work. And we got margins and we got numbers and you got to perform to produce results. And all, we have all these colloquialisms in our world today that there's no free lunch, there's no free ride, that if you want it, you got to earn it. Jesus comes in and he says, actually, I pay for everyone. I pay for everything and I do everything to save anyone. That's amazing. Amen? This is the gospel. And all this requires is humility because we just receive it. And so, for some of you, you may struggle with this. I need you to understand that you can be forgiven of anything. And I know some of you would be like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. You can be forgiven of anything. There's no one that is beyond the grace of God. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less. That Jesus Christ did a work for you, and it's all about grace. And Paul is going to say throughout this letter that it's only Jesus. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And then conversely, Paul is going to go head to head with the Judaizers and he's going to say Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Because when you add to the gospel, you actually subtract. And it's not a gospel anymore. It's a false teaching. For Paul, it's only Jesus. It's only grace. And this is what Galatians is ultimately all about. He's calling these early Christians back to grace. He's going to say, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you would turn your back on the grace of God. I'm astonished that you would trade in this great news for terrible news that's dependent on you. In chapter 3, he's going to say, who bewitched you? You're under some kind of spell that doesn't make sense, that's making you think wrongly. And he's going to say, God's grace, it's free. His salvation is free. His mercy is free. His love is free. That it's not based on your works. It's, works, it's based on the works of Jesus. And if you look back to verses 3 through 5, we see something so amazing. And this is how we're going to end. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I need you to understand this. It's the grace of God through Jesus that saves us from sin. It's only Jesus. But the grace of God through Jesus also, verse 4, delivers us from the present evil age. And what this means, that we live in a world that is evil. There is sin. There is an oppression from Satan and demons that is very real. And Paul says the grace of God delivers us from this evil age. And what this means is that the grace of God and the grace of Jesus doesn't just save us, but it empowers us. It empowers us to live like Jesus and for Jesus and for the glory of God and the good of the world. That it's not just that we sin and mess up and the grace of Jesus is there to kind of pick us up because we're pathetic, but the grace of Jesus is actually there before we sin to change our minds, to change our hearts, to change our desires so we don't have to say yes to sin, but we can actually say yes to Jesus. And when we understand this, guys, we understand it's not about me living the Christian life for God, but the Christian life is God living it through me by the empowering grace of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Do you understand this? And the pressure and legalism then makes no sense because it's all about grace. Grace is what brought me into the family and grace is what pushes me through to live like Jesus for the glory of God and the good of the world by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's all about grace. And this is what Paul was all about. He's calling these Christians back to grace. Back to grace. And this is the big idea of today and really this whole book is that grace is the way to life and grace is the way of life. We can't be Christians that kind of think that the gospel is just this thing that's kind of remedial and kind of tips us into the family of God. We become Christians and then all of a sudden we need more. The gospel is everything. It's not just the starting line, but it's the track that we run on. It's the finish line that we aspire to. It is all about grace. And the gospel of Jesus is all about grace. And Paul is going to help us to understand this. And this is what I'm praying for our church family, that we would be caught up in grace. 
and we begin to understand the grace of God more clearly so this would well up in us worship, wonder, awe, and praise. Galatians is a call back to grace. It's where life starts and it's how we live our lives today. So here's what we're going to do. Paul is calling these Christians back to grace. We're going to take some time not to just listen to the Bible being taught, but time to pray the Bible. Okay? And in prayer, we go to God, and this is communication and communion. We're going to be talking to God, but we're also going to be hearing from God. And we're not going to do this by letting Scripture guide us. And so Ephesians chapter 1 is what we're going to be in. And so it's going to be up here on the screen. I just want you to encourage you just to sit. All right, if, if you are new and you're like, oh man, this is weird enough, now you're asking me to pray, hey, this is what we do. As we gather, <laughs> like we, we listen to God through the scriptures and then we talk to God through prayer. And so I'm just going to read this. Ephesians 1 is, is just a beautiful portrayal of the grace of God. And Paul is just erupting in joy, sharing what the gospel does. And so just listen. Here's what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're going to pray through this. And I'm just going to walk you through this and, and guide you through this. So just sit. If you need to close your eyes to focus, I just want you to set your gaze on Jesus. Paul starts off with just saying, Blessed be God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's acknowledging how good God is, how great Jesus is in his gospel. Just take a minute and just thank God for being one who is, who is steady, who is dependable, who is good. In your own words, just thank him. Paul says that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. I want you to recall your sin in this moment. The sin that has been a part of your life in the past that is presently part of your life. And I want you just to come face to face with the reality that that sin separates you from God. But Jesus, knowing that sin, seeing that sin, went to the cross and he died so that you could be holy and blameless, that he has forgiven that sin so that you could be with God the Father. Just take a minute and just thank him. And maybe there's some sin in your life right now that you just need to bring before God. You're not hiding from him. He already sees it. 
but with a repentant heart, you just go to the foot of the cross and say, here is my sin. Confess it to him, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive it. It's the truth of 1 John. Paul says, in love, he has predestined us for adoption to himself. Spend some time just thanking God for loving you, a really hard person to love because of your sin. God's love doesn't waver for you because of your obedience but through Jesus, he sees you as holy and blameless, and he loves you. Thank him. And maybe there's someone in here that you feel like you're beyond the love of God. That God might love some of the people in this room, but certainly not me. And if that's you, maybe you just ask him to help you to understand his love for you. says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Maybe you haven't come to Jesus. You've been coming to church, but you just need to go to Jesus and receive his grace today. And you just come with all of your sin and say, Jesus, you are God. You're a savior, I'm a sinner. I'm asking for your grace. Forgive me and I'll follow you. Paul speaks of heaven and hope. Set your gaze on heaven. Christian, this world is the closest you'll ever get to hell. The best is yet to come. And thank him for that. We're never lacking hope because he's with us. And so even if you feel hopeless in this moment, ask God for his empowering grace to help you keep going as you depend on him.